Hi, and welcome to Match Cut, the movie podcast where we take two movies with the exact same rating on IMDb and break that time. My name is Aaron. I'm here with my friend and co-host, Matt. Hello. Hello. Uh, Before we get to this episode, if you've got a movie or matchup that you'd like to hear us cover, you can reach us on Twitter at Match Cut or by email at matchcutpod at gmail.com. So, Matt, what kind of stories have you been getting into lately? Uh... Since we last talked on the podcast, I watched the new series on uh, Netflix called The Great Pretender, mm-hmm. which is uh, an enjoyable, refreshing new anime uh, in the sense that it's not got a lot of the same themes going on. It's not an Isaki. It's not, you know, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> a whole bunch of fantasy stuff. It's about con men in Japan. They go to L.A. and it is L.A. They go to In the Out Burger. <laughs> because you can't they didn't want to pay licensing to license in and out burger uh they also get it wrong in and out burger doesn't put pickles on any burgers there's no pickles at in and out i think you can ask for it but it's definitely not on there by default exactly double double is the perfect burger mm. you don't need to change it <laughs> you can make it a four by four you can make it a flying dutchman but it is still the same burger I go for a uh, mustard grilled with uh, grilled onions. Grilled onions is where it's at. <laughs> fuck all y'all that hate hate all my homies. Fuck with grilled onions. <laughs> yeah, I, I did watch the first two episodes of The Pretender, and it is pretty good. Those backgrounds are something else. Oh yeah, the 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 very refreshing art style that's going on. Um, mm-hmm. It's very expressive. I like that uh, the different parts of it were like each every few episodes was dedicated to a specific storyline. Yeah. And so none of them really overstay their welcome. Uh, and the characters grow and you learn some more about them. And I'm, I'm interested in seeing more. It's the kind yeah. of it's like it feels like it's taking up the mantle that with Monkey Punch passing loop on the third, you know, has left. Yeah. Um, other than that, what else? What else? Oh, <laughs> oh I'll save that for the podcast because you and I watched a film. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think for me, since since we talked last, I watched uh, Black Klansman, which oh. was very interesting. Oh, the and, times we live in. <laughs> and appropriate. Yeah. Dude, you know, that- there were... There were definitely instances where I felt it was like a little on the nose, especially with like the whole scene in the hallway where it's like, we might be electing racists. But it is Spike Lee. And you, I don't think he's ever been accused of subtlety to sell (laughs) a point. Um, Sure. I also think that in retrospect, that movie at the time got robbed at the Academy. And oh, yeah. What is happening now in the world in 2020? It sure as shit got robbed. <laughs> yeah. Um, People saw the signs. They were there. Oh, Spike Lee sure as shit saw the signs. That that ending segment where it's just cutting in what's hap- what how was happening at the time the movie came out. Mm-hmm. And then it just sits there with a, an, an American flag that's inverted as it fades to the, the low-vis version of it. Yeah. It's like... I remember I saw it in theaters. I remember like being like sort of good, a little down when the there was that cross burning and all that. It was like, yeah, they they made a 
difference for a time. And yeah. then it's like, yeah, that time's over. <laughs> right. And like everyone was solemn leaving the theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You and I rewatched Hercules recently. Zero to hero and no time flat. Zero to hero. I, I Just like that. <laughs> Thank you. It's a great soundtrack and fun animation and Disney should be doing that and not remaking live action versions of their old oh, cartoons so now to hold wait, on what, to copyright. What, hold on, hold on. What you're saying is you want live action Hercules? Got it. Mm, Kevin yeah. Sorbo as Zeus, even though he's problematic, got it. <laughs> Just put Arnold Schwarzenegger in there somewhere. I don't care. Arnold Schwarzenegger Some... with a cameo as uh, the statue of Achilles. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's that that Mr. Universe pose, you know, the yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, the one. I'm doing it for you on the webcam right now, but oh, yeah, no one that's, else will be able to one. see it. <laughs> It didn't. That's the famous one that he won the one with, or something. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know how muscle competitions work. I don't know. They flex. They look at the. They look at the you know, judges. Are like, yep that that's a muscle structure. They can't. They can't drink water for like three days beforehand and spray tan the hell out of themselves. Which is apparently yeah. for definition. Which is fine. That's what I've heard. Yeah. I had a friend that actually competed in a, a bikini bod muscle competition. She came like second and in two of her classes and third in another in her first competition. And she probably would have placed higher if one of the girls in the, in her classes, which was like, you know, new to the whole thing, like literally should have, shouldn't have been in that class. Yeah. Like, like a ringer basically. Yeah. I've watched. Oh, I, it was, um, furious Pete. You Familiar with his YouTube work? Let's just go sure to expedite it. <laughs> yeah, he does some dumb stuff on YouTube, and I think through his channel, I watched like some of like him and some of his friends getting ready for a muscle man competition. And okay, it was it was interesting. It's it's always nice to like kind of peek into those worlds that you like never really think about. Yeah, I still have never seen Pumping Iron, the the documentary that started making Arnold famous because that was made when he was going for Mr. Universe. Right. You know, it's yeah. him, Lou Ferrigno, and a few other uh, few other names that are were big at the time and still are big, but clearly not to us schlubs. <laughs> still bigger than me. But, In more uh, ways yeah, than one. <laughs> right? Maybe we could do an episode on it sometime. Maybe. So yeah, I think that kind of about covers uh, what I've been up to. Anything that was noteworthy, anyway. Yeah. So speaking about this episode, this episode's matchup is about memories, sick guns, and what it means to be human. So grab your streetwear jacket, your philosophy one hundred and one textbook, and don't be distracted by the giant holographic ads. It's time for Ghost in the Shell versus Blade Runner twenty forty nine. So, what was your experience with these movies before watching them for the podcast? So Ghost in the Shell is the, is like that anime. I remember being in high school and like people would talk about it and like I'd known of it. It's like, you know, cultural osmosis for weebs and all that. Um, mm-hmm. I remember seeing parts because at the time I was in high school, the sequel to the original Ghost in the Shell came out, Ghost in the Shell Innocence. And mm-hmm. so that was kind of big and like we watched parts of it or something. I vaguely remember it. Definitely not a thing 
like that you can really digest when you have like a stupid adolescent brain. <laughs> right. It's definitely like what you're saying, a philosophy 101 at best interpretation of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, all I remember was anime boobies, basically. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, which is not the best thing to take away from that movie, but is not wrong. <laughs> like, it, uh, at the most base surface level viewing, that's not incorrect. <laughs> yeah, um, there is there is some noteworthy aspect of that, I suppose. Uh, and then Blade Runner 2049, again, having seen the original and like all the 17,000 different edits that Ridley <laughs> Scott has made over the thousands of years that he's been making movies. Yeah. Um, I've seen it. And I was definitely interested in seeing a Denny Villeneuve directed Blade Runner movie. Mm-hmm. And so I saw that shit in theaters in Dolby. So those like big <laughs> blah soundtrack yeah. things were like shaking the whole damn theater. <laughs> right. <laughs> My parents didn't like it as much because they are a bit older and that is loud as shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um. For me, Ghost in the Shell is kind of like one of those those big names in anime. It's like you kind of, I feel like a lot of people's experience with anime is you watch Toonami, you get introduced to like Dragon Ball Z or um, or uh, Bleach or one of those. And then, you know, like, oh, this, yeah, a shonen, exactly. And then uh, you kind of go on and then people tell you like, you know, oh, you got to watch Cowboy Bebop. You got to watch Ghost in the Shell. You got to watch some third one I can't think of. And uh, that was kind of how I got introduced to Ghost in the Shell. So I think I probably, I don't remember exactly, but I probably either started with this movie or the TV show and eventually just kind of watched most of them. Um, I, I know I haven't seen Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence yet. So mm-hmm. that'll be something to tackle. Um, and then Blade Runner 2049, I saw in a local theater, so probably wasn't Dolby, but it was, you know, theater sound. And I saw that, uh, I think I was in the theater by myself or no, I think there was one couple behind me, but, uh, that was in my movie pass days when I'd go at like 1130 <laughs> and go see a movie by myself on, Remember when on movie passes theaters. Yeah, I would, I, I would, you know, take being the only person in the theater right now because you know that's seems relatively safe. But uh, right. yeah, there's some moments in 2049 that are definitely meant to be experienced in a theater. Oh, definitely, like home sound. Even if you got a good setup, is not going to compare to those the quality of speakers you're getting. And like, I think that uh, just to touch on it very briefly, I think that's very much intentional by Valnu. To have mm-hmm. the soundtrack and the sound design be like oppressive and overbearing. So, yeah. It was yeah, definitely was, one that I, I'm happy I saw in the theaters. Yeah. There was one moment, we'll get into it, like you said, but that I felt like, oh, this was supposed to like produce a physical reaction, like in your body in the theater when when this scene happens. But uh it's time for the bacon number fun fact. And I will tell you, I did not expect these to connect in any sort of reasonable chain, but they are in fact linked by three degrees of separation because Ryan Gosling was in only God forgives with Vithaya Pansringarm, which I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. And I'm very sorry. Um, Vithaya 
Ponsringarm was in the live action loop in the third with uh, Shunaguri. Shunaguri was in Doraemon, Nobita in the Island of Miracles Animal Adventure with Atsuko Tanaka, who is the Japanese voice of the major. Well, well, well. <laughs> Only God Forgives is a terrible garbage fire movie. <laughs> there is another one that like they will be linked by. I think it's like Godzilla versus Mothra or something, but that's Sick. coming out in like 2021, supposedly. Well, ain't nothing we'll coming see. out that wasn't already made this year. <laughs> yeah. But both of these movies are rated a venerable 8.0 on IMDb, but one of them must be better than the other. Let's find out right after this quick break. Ghost in the Shell is a 1995 movie written by Kazunori Ito, based on the manga by Shurao Masumune and directed by Mamoru Oshii. The movie stars in the Japanese, uh, Atsuko Tanaka, Akio Otsuka. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, I, I don't, I don't know what that accent mark is either. So give it, it your best it, shot. Emphasize it. Koichi Yamadara and Yataka Nakano. Fuck you for making me say all those in a row. <laughs> Writer yeah, Ito is best known for several anime, including Ghost in the Shell, Dot Hack Sign, and whatever. Gamera, Gamera, Friend of All Children, and <laughs> Digimon X Evolution. Director Mamoru Oshii is best known for Ghost in the Shell, as well as its sequel, Angel's Egg, probably some weird shit in there. And yeah. the first ever OVA, Dalos. In the far off year of 2029, <laughs> cybercrime has evolved. To tackle the ever-changing threats to Japanese national security, Section 9 does what it needs to protect the country. When a string of ghost hacks into people's cyber brains catches Section 9 off guard, it's up to the Major and her team to find out just who is behind it all. And Blade Runner 2049 is a 2017 movie written by Hampton Fancher and Michael Green based on the novel by Philip K. Dick. The movie is directed by Denis Villeneuve, starring Ryan Gosling, Sylvia Hoax, Jared Leto, Anna de Armas, and Harrison Ford. Writer Hampton Fancher is best known for this movie, as well as the first Blade Runner and The Minus Man. The other writer, Michael Green, is best known for this movie as well, but also wrote both Logan and 2011's box office bomb, Green Lantern. Director Denis Villeneuve is also known for Arrival, Incendiae, and previously on Match Cut, Sicario. LAPD officer KD6-7.3 is a Nexus 9 replicant Blade Runner tasked with forcibly retiring previous generations of replicants who went into hiding after the blackout of 2022. On a mission to retire a replicant named Sapper, K stumbles onto an impossible finding. A replicant has given birth to a child. Now K is tasked with finding and retiring the child before its mere existence topples society's precarious balance. So, which, which of these two futures are you looking forward to the most? Uh, go, uh, Blade, uh, <laughs> it's not looking good. I share your noisy, noisy feelings. Yeah, I think. 
So, like, that's a question for you. If you had to live in either of these films, like, had to, you can't cop out and say no, which one would you live in? I would say Ghost in the Shell. I would say Blade Runner 2049, solely on the basis that no innocent bystanders get shot in that movie. <laughs> that is true. There is a lot of collateral damage in Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. Um, I don't want to be at the market and all of a sudden it erupts in gunfire. Yeah, so. because some guy who's using fucking hot rounds and his, his micro SMG is just spraying into the crowd. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think on the very surface level for these two movies, the first thing that jumped out to me was the uh, the running time and like how they use that time. Yeah, because like 2049 is a very slow and contemplative movie and has like a two and a half hour runtime, which was two hours, which was 49 minutes. Yeah. And I about. A little over an hour into Blade Runner was the first time I like checked the time and it was just like, okay, how much of this is left? I, th- I definitely think that Blade Runner's runtime hurts it on rewatches. Mm-hmm. But that first watch when I was in the theater, I was in it the whole time. I was yeah. soaking in the scenes and like, it definitely is setting like, it's taking time to be a movie. Yeah, and it's going to let these characters walk across these landscapes that we've made, that mm-hmm. these sets we've built. You're going to get a sense of their day to day life. Like it doesn't need that scene where Kay comes home to his apartment and it's like crowded and it's got skin Skinner go you know fuck off written on his mm-hmm. door, but it does to let you know how shitty this world is. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, Ghost in the Shell like also has its like long like hey, let's sit with this thought for a while, especially like after the boat scene um or the the diving scene where uh the major sees someone who looks exactly like her like in the same shell. Yeah. Or um the kind of the montage where they're going after the bad guys. But it still clocks in at like an hour 20, which was quick. You know, yeah. and it's it's not to say like automatically something should be disqualified for a long runtime, but the thing I experienced in 2049, because like the twist that Kay is not the chosen child got me a second time in like because I had three years to forget the twist. And so like when I was looking at the clock at you know a little over an hour, one minute and eleven, or one hour and eleven, it was that thought of like okay, we know K is it. Are we do, you know, do we really have like an hour and a half more to go with this knowledge? And like, it kind of pays off, but also I still felt that in the middle. I definitely didn't feel that because I never forgot. Unlike you, K <laughs> wasn't, uh, I never forgot the twist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I brought up when I was on my rewatch, which I did cheat and watch it at 1.8 speed. (laughs) (laughs) That is brisk. That is really brisk. Um, I I rewatched, uh, I rewatched ghost in the shell before this on 1.2 and it took me like 40 minutes. Yeah. Um, I don't think I, I, Denny Valnu is taking the time that in every scene, like the, the performances are perfect and building on each other kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. like those pauses are a hundred percent essential. 
I was rewatching it so I didn't forget, so that I remembered things that I had previously forgotten. Do yeah. not watch on your if it's your first time ever watching Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Do not go through it <laughs> faster than the in- intended runtime. Yeah, I think it's like five minutes into that movie before anyone like even speaks. Yeah, and that whole scene like every scene is given a chance to breathe. Mm-hmm. Every scene runs a length. Like I really enjoy the exchange between Dave Batista playing uh, what's that character Sapper playing Sapper and Ryan Gosling's K like. Ryan Gosling is considered one of the better actors of this generation. Dave Batista got his start in professional wrestling. And the <laughs> fact that it is not distracting or uh, disbelieving like his performance and like the emote, the emotive nature of his performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed it. And it just goes to show that a Dave Batista does have talent, but B like you give a, di- the, the right kind of director can get a good performance out of, unlikely sources yeah and i i felt the opposite when jared leto shows up because i cannot like shake the feeling that hey it's jared leto look at him on the screen why is he blind who knows i I, well that so the the wallace being blind is a continuing motif and blade runner of eyes Mm -hmm. like the eyes of the eyes of creation and all that like um uh What's his name? Terrell was murdered by Roy Batty in the previous one by having his eyes gouged out and crushed in. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, the fake owl is looking at him while we get this weird eye effect on Roy Batty. Uh, Previously, he killed the eye doctor that, uh, you know, makes all the replicants eyes like it's a it's an it's a eyes of God metaphor going on. Gotcha. And so, yeah. how can he have a really basic uh, interpretation of Wallace? Is how can he have vision for the future when he ain't got no eyes? <laughs> how can mirrors be real? Basically, his eyes are not real. Yeah. Now that you mention it, I'm like going back. I'm like, there was a lot of eye stuff. The one thing that stood out to me was uh, when Gaff. Uh, Edward James Olmos's character says like, or Kay asks him like, Oh, how could you know? It's like, I saw it in his eyes. It's like, ah, I get it. Yeah. So I think another part of Wallace being blind is part of that unnerving, unnerving, unnaturalness of him Mm -hmm. that like he, he has almost like a barely contained, like, disdain for everyone it's like how do you get all these gifts and i with all this vision am robbed of my eyesight yeah and i think that's actually something they somewhat explore in a lot of the ex- they so they did like a, a little bit of a multimedia push with this one there was like three or four short films with one of them being an anime um filling in some backstory that was then, the only one i watched yeah yeah the the blackout Mm-hmm. anime which is pretty good and it like oh explains oh that's the blackout that's what happened yeah. you you know human sympathizers and replicants got together launched a whole bunch of fucking nukes in the atmosphere <laughs> to create the high altitude nuclear explosion to get the uh the emp effect to take out servers that were you know, tracking replicants so that they could all possibly go into hiding mm-hmm. um 
which is never explained in the movie. It's just kind of like a throwaway line. Oh, the blackout. We lost a lot of things in that. Yeah. Um, Only paper survived. But another one was how Wallace got replicants approved for on-world use in Earth. Because previously, replicants were not allowed on Earth, and that's why Blade Runners were in like sent after them. Mm-hmm. So it just explains a little bit of that. Um, but I think it mentions in that one that like he literally can't have like a replacement. He has like the severe host rejection syndrome thing going on. Mm. So he can't get new eyes, um, which is actually not an uncommon like motif in cyberpunk fiction with people who create either cyberware or cybernetics. Yeah. Cursed in this terrible dying body. (laughs) Oh, I am but mortal. So there are themes in both of these films of, uh, you know, what it means to be human. Mm -hmm. Do you think that, you know, like, what do you think of the the motifs in in the different ones? Because like in Blade Runner, it definitely feels like the replicants put way more emphasis on real and real memories than they are about creating their own. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of also memories kind of appear in both of them where it's like, you know, um, the puppet master in ghost in the shell says, Oh, you know, what are, what are humans, but a collection of memories. I'm a collection of memories born out of the infinite internet. You know, am I any less valid, you know, regardless of my robot body? Having been on the internet, yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, of course, the major struggles with, you know, oh, are my memories mine? Am I, you know, did my original form die years ago and I'm just, you know, scraps? And kind of what what that means to be human. There was another video I watched uh, that just happened to tie into this where... uh, it says, you know, to be human is to have a conscience, to have to have differentiation between what's right and wrong and to be self-critical. And that's something that comes up in Blade Runner 2049 is is the conscience. And, you know, Kay decides not to pursue the child or thinks that he is the child and lies and makes those choices. Is that his most human or, you know, he's visceral emotive reaction to the baseline test. Um, I think both movies have a through line of um, self-determination. So Mm -hmm. throughout ghost in the shell, the major is just, you know, following orders, even if she doesn't agree with them doing what she's told kind of thing. And at the very end, like you kind of get, you kind of get a, get a sense throughout it. that Like she's been acting a little stranger than her, her baseline to use that. Right. Yeah. Um, throughout the whole movie that you're watching. But then at the end, she kind of goes a wall to a degree pursuing her own agenda against the will of her superior Araki in section nine and wants to, to brain dive into the, to the puppet master to see, to talk with him, to know what's going on with him. Yeah. When she's just supposed to recover him or destroy him basically. Right. Um, whereas the same, there's a same thing with K where there's a moment after, you know, his, 
uh, he's gearing up to go into the finale where it's like, ah, and it, it's a little heavy handed where he, they're using the exact lines of like, you know, I witnessed a miracle and it's like Mm -hmm. to die for a noble cause. What is more human? It's like, we didn't necessarily need that. I feel like that was some executive, like it's gotta be a little clearer why he's choosing. Like, cause to me, it's very clear that after this giant billboard of Anna de Armas that he thought was unique to him, not necessarily the, the character, but like, his experience with her was unique and her calling him Joe and all that yeah. um, comes down. It's like, you look like a, a good Joe or something like that. Mm-hmm. Basically almost referring to him as a John. Yeah. Yeah. Like, or, or working Joe or, Oh yeah. You're, you look like a, a tired working Joe or something like that. Yeah. And yeah. it's at that, that he's like, there is something real. I have a, I can choose to do something that's worthwhile. Yeah. There's a ghost in the shell. Ooh, sick. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But both also both movies kind of deal with this, the aspect of birth, like the puppet master is kind of birthed from collective knowledge. And then they, you know, he and the major combine in, in whatever way to, uh, to birth something new some a new generation and then of course in blade runner 2049 the entire movie focuses on this kind of immaculate conception this birth between two two replicants i mean there was two replicants deckard's not a replicant deckard thought he was deckard literally can't be a replicant because at the time the nexus (laughs) the the nexus sevens had lifespans Rachel was a one-off. It's specifically mentioned she's a one-off. Okay. I thought kind of the lasting question from Blade Runner was was the question of, is Deckard a replicant? No, that's something that's come up more recently with some re-edits of like, is it possible he's a replicant? Mm. The movie was never acted as as Harrison Ford is a replicant. It was something him and Ridley Scott realized could exist as a subtext. It got pushed as a fan theory to a fan fact to fact, just due to all the time that has passed. Um, But with 2049, him being alive still Mm -hmm. makes it pretty obvious he's not a replicant. To me, at least. I mean, if you're still reading that, maybe that's a reading that I didn't look into because I I figured him just being alive because older replicants had short lifespans. Yeah. I mean, it is, yeah, it is 30 years. So it's, yeah, I haven't watched the, I haven't watched the original Blade Runner in a while, but also like the comments from Gaff from Edward James almost, I've kind of had it. I, cause, because I went into it thinking like, okay, Harrison Ford's character is a replicant Uh, like that, that kind of lends a different reading to it, but who knows, you know, it's, you know, it's the fascinating thing of, you know, bring your own, bring your own story or interpretation to it. Well, this is almost like uh, when we watched uh, the two total recalls and we had like the mm-hmm. exact opposite, like, <laughs> no, this one's totally fake all the way through. And like, this yeah. one's real all the way through. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> so, I mean, the, I, sorry, I didn't, nec- I didn't mean to discredit your, your interpretation no, no. because clearly you saw evidence to that fact. Mm hmm doesn't mean it was invalid. I yeah. just, 
I figured the important part was that the replicant females didn't have working wombs and all that reproductive. Right. And that's, that's definitely emphasized in, you know, the scene where Jared Leto just straight cuts a woman. <laughs> Do you ever feel like Jared Leto is just a lot of the characters he plays? I mean, that'd be troubling. <laughs> if that's what I'm true. saying is I don't have a problem believing that Jared Leto would totally shank a woman <laughs> and then talk like she ain't there. Yeah. But yeah, I, the one thing that I think would be is kind of missing from the ghost in the shell is I wish we got a little more time with the puppet master and yeah. their origin. Oh, uh, sorry. I, I definitely no think that um, a lot of Ghost in the Shell's kind of rushed or uneven parts would be filled out if the movie was another 30 minutes, another 40 minutes. But the mm-hmm. problem is, it's you know, that was all, to my knowledge, hand-drawn animation. And yeah. so it's just exorbitantly expensive, even in 95, to do that. Yeah. And it's, it's good animation. Like something that really stuck out to me with Ghost in the Shell was that it's a lot of like showing how things work. Like they spend time like disassembling all these guns or, yeah. you know, or they. Uh, the whole opening sequence where they're creating the the cyber body of the major, like you're, it's literally just showing a fa- like how these cyber bodies are made. It's like they didn't yeah. need to do that. And like when she's disassembling that gun, like it's just a conversation scene between, you know, two characters where you don't have to put in all that animation, but they're like, we're going to do it. And then another thing that stuck out to me was like the fully populated market where they have all these characters in it. And like in the final scene with the tank, like when they, when the tank tank. shoots, spider (laughs) tank does whatever a spider tank does. (laughs) Um, when the, when the spider tank doing what spider tanks do shoots the concrete columns, it's, it explodes and like shows rebar inside of it. And, you know, that's not nothing in a, in a hand-drawn animated movie. Cause you have to put that detail in. So yeah, it made the world really feel really lived in, in maybe a, a shorter way than like 2049, where instead we get long sequences of, you know, K coming home and, and living his life. Mm-hmm. Not that one is, I don't place one above the other, but it's just like two different ways of achieving a similar effect. Yeah. Um, something Ghost in the Shell also does really well is even though there's these high paced, you know, chase sequences or action sequences, like literally during the, the foot chase sequence when they were trying to find the guy who was cyber hacking into the Gavlan, you know, Envoy or whatever his name was, War Criminal Asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, they like after they have the the market chase that you were talking about it then slows down because he's lost him for a second and like it's just showing old disused alleyways like yeah uh it's something you didn't want to kind of do but the they did end up remaking ghost in the shell as a live action western movie yeah. and that was a movie we ended up watching uh western as a region not a genre yes Oh man, cyberpunk western. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. Um, I mean, isn't it that's Westworld, right? Like to a degree, yeah, yeah. In terms uh, of like what makes what makes you human? Is it Yeah. 
But uh, I haven't watched that show. I just assume that it tackles that at some <laughs> point because I don't know. I've know. never seen it. That new <laughs> meme that's going around. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. This is Westworld or whatever. I've never watched the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, it takes the time, and it's something that the um, the live action movie just doesn't do all that well. Mm-hmm. Like they constantly got to be talking. They got to be, you know, saying stuff and doing things like there's not moments where it's just like, let's just breathe. Let's just breathe yeah. and let this soak in and people enjoy the music and all that. And, you know, get a sense for what life is like here. Um, you know, the isolation these people are feeling. Um, and like, it, it is typified that they had a very close, approximation of the garbage truck man and the chase scene and like the fight in the water and all that. But Mm -hmm. they just like, they, because it's live action with the 2017 Scarlett Johansson vehicle, they just, they can't do it as well. Like to Mm -hmm. show off the, the, the absolute power that these, you know, cybernetic bodies have like the major messes up that hacker. (laughs) Yeah. She like, there's multiple shots of her, like, twisting the the arms and the limbs and like mm-hmm. to unnatural degrees and this guy like keeps fighting uh the the famous shot of him you know shooting the uzi into the 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 water because he hears a sound behind him but there's just details missing in the live action movie of like her shadow on the on the water yeah and i think also not that we're you know here to talk about the live action version, but something that stuck out to me after watching the live action and then watching the anime is like Major's eyes are always you know to go back to eyes are always like wide ass open like yeah. it's an it's an inhuman like non blinking kind of thing and it it really makes her stand out in that as like not being completely human as opposed to the you know, replicants where it's like a whole thing to like determine if they're human or not. Yeah. Look up into the left, please. Mm-hmm. Um, you see a turtle on its back. <laughs> well, that's the old Voight comp test. They don't do that no more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I definitely, since you brought up eyes, you know, uh, the major's other, um, her close confidant and friend, uh, Bato, his eyes are very clearly cyberware. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but he's still expressive, still kind of in touch with his humanity and not as, you know, dis, uh, disassociated as the majors become. I've always got the feeling that he wishes their relationship was, uh, had the, the physical level of, of love, but also like that romantic level as well. And, but he's gone through enough time that he no longer does like no longer, uh, is that a, a burning desire? Like he's mm-hmm. he realizes it's not going to happen. Yeah, it's a functional working relationship where it's like, you know, in another time, in another life, you know, maybe it could have been something, but we're coworkers, I guess. So that's that's what our relationship will be. I don't necessarily think it's it's work that stops Bato from pursuing it. It's like the major it does not see him like that, so therefore mm-hmm. it's it's never going to happen for me. And like a kind of a a point to that is, it's a character trait that's like in all incarnations of Bato is he will put a jacket around her or cover her in some way. Hmm. 
So like the the scene where she's brain diving the the puppet master, he puts his jacket over her nearly destroyed body. Doesn't give a fuck about the puppet master's body. <laughs> yeah, even you though could lay it horizontally and like cover both of them. And the point being is that they are the same like face model, but because it's not the major's body, he doesn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. So it's it's to me that's very clear, like a, f- a sign of affection or. It's a thing that, you know, the major is, is so, uh, again, disassociated from her humanity. He's like doing things like that to maybe bring her back a bit. Yeah. Cause she's, she's very comfortable, like being like, I am, I am in a shell. I am not human or not like my body is not human as opposed to like the replicants in 2049, which are very like, you know, I want to blend. I want to be indistinguishable from humans. And, you know, we are on the verge of achieving the last human thing, whether that's dying for a cause or like procreation. What, what I don't get is how people are able to tell at a glance when someone's a fucking replicant. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I, I assume like with Kay's, you know, hostile apartment environment, like people just must, no, like they meet him. I think probably all replicants are required to reveal themselves uh, on introductions or whatever, but word gets around. It's like, oh, that dude's a uh, Skinner, whatever. Skin job up. Skinner. Yeah. That, yeah. What a, whatever make, made up racism. <laughs> yeah. Oh, made up racism. You and so close to real racism. <laughs> yeah. That's like also a weird thing between Ghost in the Shell and. 2049 well i guess more in 2049 but it's like okay we're gonna create a working class we're gonna create create like a slave cast but we're gonna make them look indistinguishable from us like you couldn't have just made stronger than us (laughs) yeah the big the so that's something that you're asking for an uprising (laughs) oh yeah you're definitely asking for an uprising the the thing that is explained when wallace gets in that short that should have been somewhere in the movie. That That's a lot of essential information in mm-hmm. this one little short where he's saying, like, my my new replicants always obey orders. They do exactly what they, they're told. And he demonstrates that by having one replicant kill the other unquestioningly. Yeah. And, like... Um, I mean, like, that does kind of happen in the movie, but it's never, like, dwelled upon when yeah. they just execute Rachel. Yes. Because they got their eye color wrong eyes again. Yeah, I think also that's a lie. I think he's legit lying because he knows he can't let them win. Hmm. Yeah, could be. Yeah. Um. Actually, we know it's a lie. Uh, You see the Voight comp test of Rachel, and her eye is not green. It is the that brown. Hmm. And so that's curiouser and curiouser. Yeah, that's that's very that's very much Deckard saying, "Fuck you for doing this." <laughs> yeah, playing me like this, like a damn fiddle. <laughs> uh, so, but on the uh, the subject of love, there's literally a character named Love who all she wants is to be like the perfect replicant for yeah for Wallace, the best S- simping real hard. <laughs> yeah. Um. And that's like, uh, and then there's like the, there's like a theme of unrequited love in terms of like when Kay still thinks he is Deckard's son, 
he's looking for like a fatherly bond. And then like when Deckard says all this really negative <laughs> shit to him, it's like, sometimes like, you gotta be a stranger, you know, part of it is not being there. It's like, and then oh. he walks away and he's like to strangers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but then he does an act of love by reuniting a father with his daughter. Yeah. And uh, something I didn't, didn't really didn't really click with me previously was that they play the same music that plays when Roy Batty finally dies when mm-hmm. Kay is lying on the steps. I had always like I, I, maybe I'm a little more optimistic than I like to let on uh, with a hard pessimistic shell, mm-hmm. but um, I always like like to think that Kay survived because he survived so much already, <laughs> right. And yeah. he's just he's just laying down, having a having a lay down. He he is tough. He does bust through that wall when he's <laughs> chasing Deckard. And there was the scene early on when he was after the fight with um with uh with uh Dave Batista, mm-hmm. where he Sapper. he lays Sapper, where he sits in the seat for a a, a long moment, mm-hmm. and then finally blinks. Yeah. And then just kind of glues himself back together. Yeah. It is one of those things where the interpretation and the intent is probably that like, no, we're making a parallel with Roy Batty chose to save Deckard's life in that last moment as like a, a gesture of humanity. And as a gesture of humanity, Kay decided to spend his life to do this loving act. Yeah. Because what is more human than dying for a righteous cause? Mm hmm. Thanks for saying that movie. <laughs> yeah. For laying that one on thick. Like you had just said it like two pre two scenes previous to that. You didn't need to reiterate it to me. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, two great movies, but you know how the podcast goes. We got to make a decision. Uh, anything else before we uh, head to head into the uh, final segment? Yeah, I think, um, one thing worth noting is both these films kind of, despite the fact that they are set in dystopias and they're kind of like gray and dreary and terrible at the end of both of them, there is like in ghost in the shells case, there's a sense of wonder in the new that has been created. Mm -hmm. And in blade runners case, there's a sense of hope for the future at the very least for Deckard and his daughter. Yeah. So it's like, even in the bleakest of timelines, there's still a bit of hope. <laughs> yeah. Hope, hope springs eternal in the I, creation I sure of new life. I could use that in, so, in 2020. <laughs> yeah. Have you thought about having a kid? Uh, maybe, that'll, maybe that'll pull things together for you. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my one last thing would be the transition from the, uh, the sparks of the fire into the city skyline felt hacky in this movie and I didn't need it. Which movie? 2049. Oh. But, you know, that's my personal group. Yeah, that Denny Velnu should fucking learn how to make a good film. Yeah. Study up, buddy. (laughs) All right. We'll be right back after this with our final thoughts. Stick around. All right, welcome you back. You were saying in the break. <laughs> it's it's really tough for me to decide which one I liked more. I mean, Ghost in the Shell, 
is is brisk and fun and i think like has an appropriate amount of like action and reflection and brings up interesting questions i think also blade runner you know does a lot of similar things has its has its moments of tension and release and explores a lot more of of like the main character's thoughts and and uh attitudes and feelings and emotions and memories and everything that that makes up a, a a human, whatever whatever that entails. Yeah. So you're um, kind of you're kind of going undecided. I'm I'm torn, but I think in the end I'm going to say Ghost in the Shell. I like I like a lot of the aesthetic. I like a lot of the uh, dude. Bato's fitments are on point. That's all <laughs> I'm saying. Lots, lots of good jackets. I mean, Blade Runner twenty forty nine has a really good jacket as well. It's true. It's it's one of the <laughs> best jackets actually. Blade Runner's jacket game is on point for both <laughs> movies. Yeah, I think um, I think Ghost in the Shell has a real light touch with um, its philosophy and its ideas, and I think I appreciate that a little more than kind of being led by the hand in a blade runner see i think it's a little bit of the opposite and i think that's just an inherent nature of manga and japanese uh um movies and storytelling is like they tell you exactly what a character's thinking mm-hmm. and there is no deviation from that whereas there again the length of blade runner is so you get like these scenes of just oh let's 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 spend 30 seconds looking at Ryan Gosling as he slowly works up to a great God damn it. <laughs> yeah. As the, yeah, that, that baseline test is, is something it, it'll, um, it'll bring it out. Oh, I forgot to mention real quick, the specific scene that I thought about with like the audio and soundtrack and um, like feeling it was when his drone rises out of the car. I think it's in the Vegas scene. Uh-huh. Just it like it pounds in your ears. And that was, a, that was something I think in theaters would have been absolutely intense. Uh, I think it's also worth noting that you watched ghost on the shell in Japanese. And I watched it in English as a, I have always watched it in English. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I not not necessarily again. I guess in summation, Blade Runner twenty forty nine is a movie that I like watching sparingly mm-hmm. because every time you watch it, the, that length is is going to be a dragon you got to slay. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta dedicate three hours to watch <laughs> this film. Right. Whereas Ghost in the Shell is an hour and a half. It's a lot easier to just like yeah, I'll throw on Ghost in the Shell. Mm-hmm. But I think to a degree that's its detriment. If you were to take 20 minutes off of Blade Runner and put those 20 minutes on Ghost in the Shell, I think Ghost in the Shell could have really used those to flesh out a little bit more or smooth over some of its brisker pace. Because I think yeah. that, that the speed of the actual plot beats is way too fast. Yeah. That while the cinematography, as it were, and the the pacing of the scenes is done in such a way, you still get a degree of the 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 Japanese info dumps at you, right? 
where we got we got to let everyone know that this is the page <laughs> we're all on. However, right. that being said, Ghost in the Shell does have two seasons of a show, technically based in a different universe with the all the same brand names, just slightly less dystopic, <laughs> called yeah. Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex, and that. I think is the best iteration of ghost in the shell because it explores those themes and different facets of it and like emotion um, a lot better than the time they had on the movie. So to me, I think I'm going to go blade runner. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Both of these movies, again, this is a matchup where it is really hard to decide because both of these movies are really good and I would recommend them both. And I don't want to harp on the length too much because it's for me kind of a more of a pacing thing than the necessarily overall length. But you do bring up a good point in that both of these movies kind of inspire you to to my favorite thing, you know, spend some time in the world after the movie. Like you're not gonna watch the movie and then be done thinking about it for either of these. And because we make no pretense of being unbiased. The fact that Ghost in the Shell has that whole anime, you know, two seasons plus I think like another two movies, three movies maybe. For you know, that- standalone complex, there is a singular film that is set in the standalone complex world. Okay, it's got it's got a lot more material for you to dive into, and and that helps especially like for me coming back and watching this movie, like fill in some of the gaps. Like I know the histories, so like that those things are filled in for me and I think contributes a lot to my enjoyment of the movie and not feeling like necessarily it needed a ton more. Cause I've gotten that from the anime and it's it, but I mean, Blade Runner also has like a prequel and shorts and, you know, obviously I need yeah. to watch the prequel again, but the previous film, you mean a prequel yeah, and a yeah. that it's made after. Right. Um, I think, a knock against Blade Runner is the the point that there's that some of that ancillary multimedia stuff that they did. Mm-hmm. You just watch it straight on YouTube, just dead ass. Um, <laughs> yeah, but also product tie-ins with Black Label and Johnny Walker. <laughs> look, people want, want their space whiskey. If you want the full experience, maybe you just have to be drinking that ninety dollar bottle of black label. It's funny that like you mentioned in our conversations like fuck capitalism. Like but they did the same thing <laughs> with the first movie. The first mm-hmm. movie there is these those square whiskey tumblers that he was drinking out of. <laughs> yeah. And they were technically a cross promotion tie in. He didn't release the the glassmaker didn't release those until after the movie was out. Gotcha. I mean, and it's, it's not like Ghost in the Shell has never had merchandise. I'm sure we could pull up like a <laughs> dozen different commercials that are like Ghost in the Shell cup of noodles, you know, ads. <laughs> yeah. So. I've I've hidden it in the camera shot you have of me, but my major body pillow is, is over there. Okay. Uh, next to my Bato one. I mean, yeah. Bato, <laughs> like... You know, that's the problem with Ghost in the Shell is there's not equal representation of just full-on male nudity. <laughs> like, if, if you're going to, you know, dehumanize people, don't just dehumanize the female body. All right. There has to be a Bato <laughs> body pillow, right? Like We're going to solve this before this podcast is over. That's not just a, that's not just a stupid joke. 
Oh, there's there's one of the major for sure. Oh, definitely. Look, if there's a a Metal Gear Solid Three big boss snake eater body pillow, <laughs> you you can get like normally proportioned major or extra thick major. <laughs> I, extra thick. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Bato, what's the Japanese for Dakimak? I don't know. I don't know body pillow names. Don't put that on me. <laughs> oh, wait. I think I found it. There is one of Bato cradling a spider tank. Mm, is that the closest we're going to get? I think so. Here you go. I'll, I'll send it to you. I'll, I'll post it on our Twitter. Yes. Do it. <laughs> There's been a, so, we got five orders all at once. <laughs> There is no shortage of merchandise for Ghost in the Shell is the real message here. But the real Ghost in the Shell is the <laughs> merchandise we made along the way. <laughs> oh, geez. So your vote is Ghost in the Shell. My vote is Blade Runner. We're at an impasse. Um, it's worthwhile to watch both movies. I think my caveat is don't watch Blade Runner too many times in a row. <laughs> it's it's just gonna it's gonna be harder and harder each time because you're like, okay, move to the you know I there's a lot less there to like look at some subtext or little things than maybe is necessary. Yeah. So that's going to do it for this episode. Look for our upcoming matchup on our Twitter at MatchCut. For the MatchCut podcast, my name is Matt. And I've been Aaron. And we'll see you next time. Ne- next time. <laughs> oh, God, I hope there's a next time. <laughs> if the spider tanks and, and Blade Runners don't come for us, we'll be back next time. <laughs> see ya. Spider tank. Does whatever a spider tank does. Shoots his guns and kills people. Oh, watch out. He's breaking the, the concrete. Look out. Here comes a spider tank. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs>